Welcome to Stone's Notes by Stone Consulting. I'm Maureen Stonehouse. On today's episode, I'm talking to Chris Perez, Exploration Analysis at Canadian Discovery. We'll be talking about Chris Podet's scientific article titled Cardium Shoreface Oil, a Comparison of Production Areas from July 2018. Some highlights include discussing which cardium yield is the best. We're rocking out today with Chris Podets. Welcome to Stone's Notes. Hi, Chris, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. So the paper that you wrote on the cardium talks about how the cardium formation was one of the most prolific in Western Canada sedimentary basin, and it was discovered in 1953. How much oil and gas has been produced from the cardium, and how has this been developed over time? Okay, so up to uh, sort of the middle of 2018, which is when we, what the article came to, there was uh, just under 2 billion barrels of oil have come out of the cardium since it's, uh, yeah, since it started. So that includes all the, right from the first vertical wells up to, up to now. It's kind of almost as impressive as the uh, 10.6 TCF of gas. Now, that being 2018, if you were to, you could maybe add a little bit onto both of those numbers now. It's been a couple of years, but because the drilling's gone down, I don't think it would be like anything material's been added to that since then. In terms of how it's been developed, so just like a lot of other plays, I would say they started out as conventionally, uh, just vertical wells sort of targeting the sort of the best looking rock. Drilling it that way, that was kind of production increased until about sometime in the 1970s. And then it started to decline as a lot of those conventional ones did. And then around 20, was it 2010 or so when the horizontal sort of came into their own pretty seriously, that's when the cardium production started to go up again. They can go after a bit of the kind of not as nice looking rock, multiple completions, that kind of thing. No, and I think that's a really good point. Uh, originally the vertical wells targeted the really good rock, the high porosity permeability. And over time now it's the rock that's a bit more unconventional with the low porosity and permeability. So lots of changes as technologies developed. And you did focus quite a bit on the technology in this, which I liked. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, you know, Jeff, Jeff did a lot of the work on that, but we kind of worked together on how it, you know, just tying it together with the, uh, with the geology and it's what, yeah, I guess the, the main thing is that even now, like this stuff's still changing. Like they're still, they're drilling longer and longer wells. They're, 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 they're kind of narrowing the window for how they do their completions but there's, they're always still fine tuning it. I'd say the biggest, what's going on now, the biggest change is how, how much longer the wells are getting. You're getting upwards of three kilometers now, whereas before a section that was 1600 meters, that was kind of the norm, but now we're, we're getting towards double that. Yeah. And with so many changes, there's really a lot to filter through to figure out which wells the best. And part of doing that, you subdivided it into different fields. So you had the four key fields of Wapiti, Pembina, Williston Green and Farrier. So what would you say is kind of one key feature of each of these that make them unique and an attractive drilling target? Let's sort of go from north to south. Uh, for Wapiti, I think the, the sort of the, the key thing is that it's a, the sand is really thick. You're getting upwards of, uh, I think you can get upwards of 20 meters. That's like kind of the gross part, but that's, depending on what a person's cutoff might be, it might be a bit different, but the sand at Wapiti is a lot thicker than, than the other three zones. At Pembina, now whether this is necessarily a reservoir thing or situational or what, but it happens to be the cheapest to develop. 
Now, whether it's because you've got, it's a little bit shallower, you can get away with shorter wells, I'm not sure. But that to me um, makes it makes a pretty big difference for Pembina. At Willisden Green, uh, the fact you've got two sands, two thick sands, and I think we'll, we'll probably talk about this a bit later. You've got two thick sands fairly close together with like, a, you know, a kind of a, still a reservoir, but a poor quality reservoir in between, which kind of gives you some options for completions, which, uh, and, you know, and a thicker overall reservoir package to go after. And at Farrier, I would say the biggest, uh, the biggest draw is that its rates are a lot higher. Now, whether that's to, whether it's it's a bit deeper, so you've got higher pressure, you're dealing with a bit more gas, you're also closer to the uh, deformation front. I think at Farrier, you get any real sort of signs of faulting, but there could be some sort of structural enhancement going on. Yeah, so they're all really good fields for different reasons. We started to talk a bit about how the drilling has switched to longer laterals, more the two mile wells, and mm -hmm. they have more stages of smaller frack spacing. So you did compare the different designs in each area. What did you see on average and how did you come up with these averages? So, okay, the first part, how we came up with the averages. So we only looked at horizontal multi-stage wells uh, for each of those four areas that we broke up kind of, I wouldn't say we broke them up arbitrarily, but just by kind of by how the wells were grouped together. And we also only looked at the wells that had a produced liquids percentage of 20% or more. Just we wanted to look at oil wells as opposed to gas. Now, the one thing I guess we, I can say is that it's a bit, you know, we talk about, I don't want to bring other zones into it right away, but something like the Montney where it's kind of hard to tell liquids content because it doesn't get reported because you've got condensate as part of gas. With the cardium, the liquid's generally oil. So that was a lot easier to do. You've got oil reported, you've got gas reported, and there's no real kind of, not that it gets hidden, but you can't really report it a different way. Now, for each area, uh, also I should say that the timing, we looked at wells from that were drilled between 2015 and 2018. So that kind of narrows down in terms of completions, especially how, how relevant the completions were today compared to some weird stuff that went on back at the beginning of horizontal drilling. So in each area, I'll just sort of sum, just to summarize it, at Wapiti, you know, relative to the other three zones, the wells were a bit shorter. As you'll see with everything, things were kind of trending longer through time, but overall, Wapiti stuff is shorter, and they have a relatively low number of stages. You're looking at somewhere around 25 to 30 per well, but they generally have a, a higher uh, tonnage of propent per stage. At Pembina, you're still dealing with short wells. The propents per stage are lower tonnage of propent per stage is lower, but you've got a few more stages going on. Uh, same thing with Willie Green, Williston Green, kind of moderate. Wells are getting a bit longer here. The average is over two kilometers. So even because with the, there's kind of one of the first places where they did the extended reach. So overall, those wells are going to be longer on average. The propent per well is about the same, kind of pushing 15, 25 tons. Uh, the big variance there is that some operators are using the crazy number of, uh, of stages. You're getting upwards of 100 as opposed to that kind of average 20 or 30. In some cases, I think the highest, the highest I've seen is pushing 170. And Farrier is kind of the same as uh, Williston Green. You've got even longer wells and even more, more stages. So, and in terms, just a general term, in terms of the technology, um, they all use kind of slick water as a fluid. At Wapiti, you've got sort of ball and seat tech for completions for fracks, whereas uh, in the kind of the Pemben area, those in Williston Green and Farrier, you're looking at 
coil tubing. I like the way you filtered it. So it's, you know, newer wells that they could have similar ways of being developed. For the lengths, you almost wonder, I know you, we can talk about who's operating in all of those areas, but you kind of wonder, is it a matter of pooling agreements and who has a bigger land base and is able to drill longer? Because in a short face, it's not um, constrained by channel edges or anything. So it'd be interesting yeah. to kind of know who's in the area and what their land is. So maybe we can jump into um, who are who are the main operators in each area? And did you notice any differences in production just based on who was operating? Uh, yeah, like the, the differences aren't huge, but there, there's, there are some. And again, this is going back to 2018. So I would suspect I've got to do a year interview article on the Cardium coming up shortly. But I would suspect that these differences are going to start to get closing in is, you know, just with stuff going on in the industry and companies coming together. It's it's that. But I'm going back to when the article was written, which wasn't that long ago. Um, at Wapiti, you've got sort of two main operators. That's Modern, who I guess is now Termaline, and Whitecap. And uh, Whitecap wells have, in terms of EURs, which is how we use what we did to compare it, Whitecap has better EURs per well. You've got 430,000 uh, 430, barrels versus uh, Modern had 300,000. But the main one thing to consider is that Whitecap had uh, had a lot more intense completions, so they were spending a lot more money on their wells. At Pemina, you've got Whitecap again. We've got companies like Obsidian, uh, Bacalu. I guess those are the main ones. And again, Whitecap's again kind of the top producer. Uh, they're about two hundred seventy thousand barrels per well, whereas the other other ones kind of around one hundred to two hundred. Um, so again, Whitecap's kind of up there, but they're, they're also got more intense wells going. At Wilson Green, you've got Obsidian again, and you've got companies like Inplay and Yangara. Now, Obsidian at the time had the, the top, was kind of the top EURs, with about 200,000 there. The other guys were just a slightly behind, so maybe closer to 150, but there's a lot of variance. All the operators at Wilson Green were capable of having wells over 500. And I think Yangara with its kind of more intense completions and kind of what is results I've seen since doing this article is they have some wells that are pushing a thousand. That might be even closer to Farrier. I would jump into that. Um, there you've got Yangara again, kind of company we've seen before, Whitecap and Bakalu. Yeah, so you got Yangara is the top there. Now the the EURs are a lot higher at Farrier compared to anywhere else because you've got, I think, a lot of gas involved as well. So on a BOE basis, you've got Yangara doing over 400,000. Whereas white cap is not that far behind, uh, more like at 350. You started to talk a little bit there about the rates that we're seeing. So for the type curves that you developed, they come on really strong and then they decline quickly, um, with mm -hmm. the highest being 500 BOE per day for P50. And then, like you said, at Barrier, up to 1,000 BOE per day. So how yeah. did you come up with the type curves? What did you include in them? Basically, we just used the monthly production data for all the horizontal wells drilled from January. Uh, 2015 to June 2018. And that was again for each of those four areas. And then statistically to determine like a P10, a P50, and a P90 curve. So 90% of the wells would be better than this, 10% are better than this, that kind of thing. Did that just based on the oil production. And then uh, we applied a, a gas oil ratio for each of the each area was had a bit different. Like Farrier has a high gas oil ratio bit less than Wapiti. And we did that to calculate a BOE, you know, the same type curve, but just on a BOE basis. Difference incorporating the gas and the 
the gas oil ratio because it does really seem like the combination where you have more gas is really producing higher results right yeah and that's that that's a trick that's that trick we find with a lot of uh a lot of the analysis that we do you know when times especially when gas you mean you use that six to one conversion ratio which on an energy basis is fine but depending on how the economics i mean it's not so bad now but a couple of years ago, when when gas was was really in the doldrums, it kind of made stuff look any gas weighted gas weighted plays look a lot better than maybe they really were on an economic basis. But now I think you can we can use it with a bit more confidence. That we're representing something more realistic. Yeah, the economics change so frequently, and I know your paper is written in two thousand and eighteen. So whatever the price forecast is today would be different than what it was back then. But the cardium here does have really strong rates of return. So just comparing them relative to each other, Barrier had the highest rate at 145%, and Pemina mm -hmm. was the lowest at 47%. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the parameters that you found were really driving these economics? So the main, I guess the main driver would be the three kind of, I guess they're all inputs, but kind of more money in kind of thing is uh, production rate, the decline rate, and uh, to the EURs. The other, I guess, uh, just as important, the other stuff we looked at were drilling and completion costs, the op costs that we that we work, worked with. Now, I should say drilling completion costs, we get we got from Geologic's uh, uh, frac database, which, you know, you, back then had, I mean, you still didn't have it for every well, but you could get it for quite a few left do analysis. And even today, I find that's getting harder and harder to do. That's just an aside, just because a lot of that information isn't as forthcoming anymore. We used op cost as well. And then we estimated kind of equipment and tie-in cost per well, just based on the experience that we have in our kind of just working from other with other operators. Yeah, those were, I think, were the main, the main sort of parameters that we used. And when you were talking there about the uh, data coming from the FRAC database and is getting harder, it really shows you why different operators would have such different interpretations because they'd know exactly what their costs would be in that area, which could change, change the story. Yeah. And even when we're, it, it, it's some that even makes it tricky when you're trying to look at that in an area, because some operators, when it comes to the data that's with geologic, some operators have all their cost data in and other operators, you have none. So you're kind of doing an area average, but you're leaving out in what some cases could be some of the main players. So it's, it's tricky. You just try to work, do the best you can with the data you have. So that, I mean, that applies to everything nowadays, but. So, you know, we're kind of at the end where we're talking about economics. We should have started with the geology at the beginning, but maybe now we can jump into the geology a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, you touched on it changing a bit across the different areas and it's prograding clinoform. So if you think of it going from south and farrier through Williston Green and north into Pembina, how would you see it changing between the different fields? Okay. It's kind of hard without pointing to a cross section and stuff. So I'll try to summarize kind of like the important, the important part. So, so at Farrier, you've got one good sort of sand target at the top of the, uh, at the top of the, what we call the cardium sand, cardium sand intervals. They call it the cardium A sand. It's uh, about 10 to 15 meters thick on a gross, gross basis. And underneath that, you've got a, maybe a slightly thicker interval of, bioturbated kind of finer sand and mudstone that's all kind of mixed up so um that again has some reservoir potential and that's where again we talk about uh 
companies like Yangar will target that sort of lower stuff in order to frack up into the good stuff. And also, so below at Ferrier, below that, uh, that bioturbated zone, you've got a thin sand called the Cardium B sand, which is pretty thin. And I think if you work your way south from Ferrier, you know, we don't talk about it in the article, but that thin sand becomes an actual, uh, more of the actual target reservoir down in places like Montgomery. It's kind of a lot narrower. It's kind of a different, it's still like a shore face, but it's a lot narrower one, but it gets, uh, gets developed down there. Now, moving into Williston Green, the biggest change is that Cardium A sand I talked about at the top is actually broken into two sands. You've got a bioturbated zone in between, and you've also got a bioturbated zone below that second sand. And the Cardium B sand is gone. You just got this big package at the top. And again, that, that's an, a case, and I mentioned it earlier, where you've got two sands complicates this use a little bit if you drill it horizontally that's where companies have you know they'll target the individual sands to get to the best reservoir or to go into that bioturbated stuff and try to frack into it to get kind of the most reservoirs because i think if you start out if you're drilling into a good sand trying to frack out of it into a, that kind of laminated bioturbated stuff can kind of make play havoc with the frack whereas if you start off in the bioturbated zone the frack can get through it and then it it can get through the better sands higher and above. Now at Pembina, you're maybe a little bit more basinal when you're at Pembina, but I don't think uh, like you're still on a shore face. It's not like you're in a lot deeper water. So that's the one thing to keep in mind. So you've got, you still got the one shore face sand back to one, like at Farrier. You don't have, uh, you still have a bit of a bioturbated zone underneath, but at Pembina for whatever reason, maybe because of the flows or you've got, you know, uh, just the, the geography of the shoreline at the time, you're more likely to come across a thicker conglomerate at the top. And that's kind of historically, that's the cardium that people went after. Was that high porosity, high permeable conglomerate at the top? Yeah. So in a nutshell, those, those are the main differences. You're still dealing with like, now I talk about it being a sand or two sands, like each one of those big sand units probably represents, you know, could it be up to seven cycles of like, transgression regression kind of thing on a bigger scale you kind of got like looking at maybe only one or two cycles exactly and even the conglomerate's an interesting one because it's sometimes you have the conglomerate that's class supported and high porosity permeability and other times it's matrix supported and it's tight right yeah and then you've got issues with when you've got that conglomerate president you can have issues where gas migrates out to where you wouldn't expect it to be based on pressures and temperatures and stuff like that so that can play play havoc with production expectations too mm -hmm. so if we jump up to wapiti now further north it's a different cardium member that's being targeted yep. how do you compare the sand at the uh kind of the other cardium member at wapiti versus what we see at pemina williston green and barrier so at Wapiti, like as I mentioned earlier, the sand's a it's 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 a thicker sand. Now it's a little bit lower in the cardium succession, so it would be equivalent. There's uh, if anyone's looked at the cardium uh, chapter in the basin atlas, there's kind of like a really good uh, cross section of all the different kind of area nomenclature for the cardium. So the cardium sand at Wapiti is a, is kind of equivalent to the ram member or the lower Pembina river. And I honestly, I'm not sure if it's equivalent to that little cardium B sand I was talking about, but it is kind of like that, that deeper down than what we're seeing at, uh, at Pembina. So that sand at Wapiti, it's part of a, 
what's been described as a prograding strand plane sequence. So it's a bit, I guess that indicates it's a little bit closer to shore. And there's an upper and a lower sand. They're not quite as well separated as what they are at Farrier. You can just kind of tell on the logs. There's like a little bit of a, there's like a kind of a gamma blip between them. And that used to be interpreted as like a major unconformity between two major sands. But the idea now is that those two sands are part of the same kind of shore face depositional sequence. And there's just a lot of little unconformities in between them. So might be, I guess that's important for production. If, if there's no unconformities, you can just get into a sand and think everything's going to be hunky-dory. But if you're dealing with multiple little unconformities, that's going to, you got to deal with that in completions. Kind of, it might be subtle, but it's still important. There's also sort of the overlying part, which would be the, I guess the moose, the moose hound, I think equivalent. It's, and that would might, that I think is equivalent stratigraphically to the Pembina, Pembina and uh, Willis and Green stuff. That sand, there are sands there, but they're really discontinuous. There's even conglomerates. And um, I'm doing some cross-sections up there. Those sands really come and go. And I think they're a harder, there might even be more equivalent to channels there. So they're kind of harder to predict where they're going to go. And I think you need seismic to really to really make a good, good play on those. And I don't think they're even really developed as yet. Well, this has been really interesting. I know you've looked at lots of different areas in the cardium and Thank you for sharing it. Is there anything additional that you'd like to add? So I, I was been looking at some of the stuff that's been happening since. Um, now, uh, so it's been been two years, and I didn't, and you don't mention either of these areas in the article, just because they, I think at the time there wasn't a lot going on for one of them, and the other area was just really gas heavy. But two other kind of interesting areas for cardium are uh, down where tourmaline has some stuff going down more more further west. Ricinus, where it's, it's basically it's a structural play is what I'm trying to say. And you've got basically you've got faulted cardium. You can actually see repeats, repeats in the actual cardium. Because you've got a cardium sand and 30 meters and then a cardium sand, the same cardium sand sort of comes back. Um, those wells will probably have rates. They For a couple of years, they were the top wells, the top wells in the basin were drilled in those in those cardium sands. Now they're they're gas, heavily gas weighted. And that's a case where there's probably liquids, but it's uh it's condensate. So Geoscope might say there's no liquids, but you might have to look at a company's uh, sort of annual pres- report presentations to get. So they're economic, they're huge rates. So um, that's what gets me thinking about how farriers, you know, farriers kind of on that continuum where you're maybe not faulted, but you might have some influence from the uh, from the structure stuff going on. And then you mentioned lock-in. So lock-in was the other one I was going to talk about just because, uh, there and that the very very south end of Ferrier, Cheddarville, um, the best cardium wells of last year, they were all pushing a thousand barrels. That's just a thousand barrels of oil um, were down in those zones. And again, uh, lock end, there is evidence of faulting, like you have the cardium repeats again. And uh, Cheddarville, again, you're close to that. Uh, you're close to that deformation front. The wells themselves don't show up, but. Yeah, you've got a couple wells there that are put again a thousand barrels of oil a day as their kind of kind of best month over their best month. Those are just some areas to pay attention to. I know operators, there's a lot more going on there this year than there was uh, previously. Great. Well, this was really interesting. So thank you, Chris. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate being able to talk about it. Stone's Notes is brought to you by Stone Consulting. We can be found online at www.stoneconsulting.info. 
or send us an email anytime at stoneconsultingcorp at outlook.com. On behalf of everyone here, I'm Maureen Stonehouse. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.